You know they want staring point, you know we straight to the point Boy Chris with assist, fast breaks like a joint splitting half Boy J with the J, we throwing heat, no gas, that's a touchdown pass You know just how we coming, so it's nothing left to say Now they hardly can guard me like Dirk fade away You know just how we coming, so it's nothing left to say Yeah, you know just how we coming, so it's nothing left to say They want staring point, you know we straight to the point They want staring point, you know we straight to the point They want staring point, you know we straight to the point They want staring point, you know we straight to the straight to the Hemi76, bring us into episode number 152 of Straight to the Point. My name is Chris, here with my guy, J-Dub. Yo, 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 I'm back. I ain't been here in a minute. Welcome back. I'm glad TSA let you out of detainment. But, listen. you know, it, listen. listen, that's why we have lawyers. But we have two special guests for our episode this week. You know, college football is right around the corner, right on that doorstep. The leaves are starting to change. So what better, you know, than to bring in our experts, our Guys, our sources. Oops, I didn't mean to report, you know, our sources. But, you know, there are guys. There are guys. So <laughs> we have the usual crowd. Let you guys introduce yourselves, drop your credentials, and, and then we'll get started. Uh, my name is Kevin Borba. Um, I cover the Pac-12 for Athlon and Fan Nation. And so I'm kind of in the nitty-gritty of all the things that are happening And as I watch my former employer collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sergio. You guys already know me. I am uh, the ignorant and delusional Dolphins fan who is still, I think, one for one on the two takes on Straight to the Point, which we can get to that yes. at a different time. I believe you had that. You, you uh, are, thank you very you much. I appreciate it. Within uh, the record for the Dolphins as well. You guys thank you very it. much. I yes. nailed it. I, I told you, boys. Um, but also, I cover college football on Sideline Judgment, uh, Sideline, uh, then Judgment spelled with an E. It's a podcast you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We cover the whole world of college football. We eat the whole hog, as they say, from the SEC all the way down to RIP, the Pac-12, and uh, Sunbelt, Conference USA, all of those, every conference in between. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I'll plug that at the end as well, Chris. So don't you worry. I'm going to get it in. Listen, I'm just here to give you guys the lobs so you guys can, you know, follow up with the alley-oop. But as we talk about college football and everyone kind of knows – the, the big names, you know, the names may change within the, on the field, but the, the institutions kind of remain the same. The Alabamas, the LSUs, the Ohio States, the, the big 12, you know, the big 10, the, which is now like 17 teams and the SEC, which is pretty much the NFL junior. So there's a lot of talk of conference realignment, teams are changing, things are switching, Arizona going to the big 12 and, and things like that. So Kevin, I'll start with you as someone that's kind of in that, kind of world now you cut um, with the with the buffalo bison behind you uh, a team in colorado that's going back to the big 12 how do you you know talk to me about the ever-changing landscape of college sports yeah college sports are moving in a very different direction um i think it's sad uh because like i, I joked about earlier the pac-12 was my former employer um, that was my first job out of grad school was working at the pac-12 networks and so it's unfortunate to see all of those talented people lose their jobs, likely. Um, but unfortunately for them, college football and all college sports in general are motivated by money. And money talks just like in every aspect of life. And when you're offered more money to leave, um, you have to do what you have to do. And so I think the Pac-12, and I've been saying this when I make appearances out everywhere, I think they were taking, a, I guess, a, an approach we only see in fairy tales or superhero movies where it's going to work out eventually at the end. And it just didn't. Um, I think they... They kind of just thought everybody would stick together and people got impatient. People got scared and 
now they find themselves with four schools and those four schools are all figuring out ways to try to leave because um, at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. Um, I think that's the tough part about college football. Um, I do think this is kind of like a hot take. I do think in five years, it'll revert back to something similar to what we had within the past couple of years, because I think people are going to get upset about not competing. Um, I don't think money is going to be satisfactory for all these programs that are constantly not competing in their new conference. And so that's kind of like my hot take for the future. But for the present, money motivates and money controls all. But what about, you know, in college football and college sports in general, but college football is rooted in tradition. A lot of these geographical rivalries that we talk about, like especially in the Pac-12 with USC, Cal, USC, um, UCLA, like all these college, and I know UCLA, UCS, USC and UCLA, a lot of letters there, are going together in the Big Ten. But what about those other Pac-12 relationships that, you know, those rivalries that are not going to be there? Yeah, those I don't, I don't say they're dead, um, but realistically, this last year, this 2023 year is kind of like a reunion. It's like a Kobe tour, if you will. Um, basically, it's going to be a lot of this is the last time we play you. So I think there's going to be more excitement. The Pac-12, another unfortunate thing, is about to have their best season probably of my lifetime, of our lifetimes. They have five or six teams that realistically could win the Pac-12 title um, five that could kind of push for the playoff um, if everything goes right for them. And so it's going to end on a high note, but realistically, it's going to be like a farewell tour. Um, it's going to be like USC traveling to, say, Stanford or something. And it's going to be like, oh, this is our last time playing Stanford for who knows how long. Or this is our last time playing, uh, you name a school, Washington. And th- we don't know how it's going to turn out in the future. So this could very well be the last time that these programs ever play each other, um, which is a crazy thing to think about because – We've never seen, at least in our lifetime, a conference collapse like this. And so for it to collapse and kind of lose that tradition, like you're mentioning, um, there was one, yes, Sergio, but not of this magnitude. <laughs> uh, but we've never seen like the Big East would like a the Big East would like a word. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, Big East was more no, like that. So I'm I'm saying like <laughs> football power or former power, I guess. Um, it's just going to be a lot different. Um, it shows the changes that we, we kind of go through as time goes on. But rivalries will hopefully come back eventually. Um, but I think right now everybody's valuing the marquee matchups of USC and Ohio State or whoever it may be. Sergio, my next question is going to go to you. They're talking about SEC started this trend, right? Bringing in Texas originally. I think I was there with you and Barbara when it was first announced that Texas was going to the SEC. They said this domino effect started with them. You're hearing other rumors now. I don't know how accurate these are, but they're talking about Stanford, California, potentially going to the ACC. If this continues to occur, you're talking about these mid-market teams now going to these different conferences. What's stopping now, not just from the football aspect, but from all other aspects of NCAA, from how does this really impact them at a higher level? Because, again, football is going to be football regardless. You know which teams are going to be dominant. You know which teams are still going to be middle of the pack, maybe the underdog, but – just as a whole, how does this really come together for other programs? Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. And and you're right in terms of the SEC kind of kicking this off when they announced Texas and Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry, moving over to the SEC. But it actually didn't start then. It started about a decade beforehand. This really started in the early 2010s, also by the SEC, when they expanded from 12 teams to 14 and they brought in Texas A&M 
and Missouri. And at the time, it was like, whoa, this is wild. Those schools are so far. Missouri ended up in the SEC East, despite the fact that it was closer to all of the West schools. And Auburn is actually geographically the closest school to the, to, to the University of Florida in Gainesville. It's like a two and a half hour, three hour drive. But because of the rivalries, Auburn's in the West, but Florida's in the East. There's just a whole craziness that happened there. And now we're seeing them go ahead and expand. The question of what's stopping them is quite literally nothing. I mean, we're, we're basically seeing conferences print money. My graduate thesis at Quinnipiac, where we did our master's program, Kevin and, and Jared and I, um, my thesis was on the history of the college football national championship and how it was crowned. That was my thesis. And within researching my thesis, I ended up discovering that in the 1980s, there was a famous Supreme Court case where basically the University of Oklahoma and the University of Georgia went to court and said, hey, the NCAA is determining who can watch what games on television. And we as the individual schools or conferences, put that in your head, we'll get back to that. We have the ability to go out and negotiate our own television deals. Well, the Supreme Court ruled in Oklahoma and Georgia's favor. And that's when kind of conferences began to scoop up and in increase uh, their membership, because if you think, you know, Big Ten, right, traditionally you would think, oh, a Penn State, but Penn State didn't join the Big Ten until the early 90s. Florida State in the ACC, Florida State didn't join the ACC until after they had already won a national championship in 1993. So a lot of these schools were independent in the past, and then they ended up joining a conference because the amount of money they could make from the TV deals per school was so much more than they could have gotten if they went out to get their own television deals individually. Notre Dame is the exception. I don't think it'll be for long. We can have that conversation at a different time. Uh, nothing is stopping them, Jared. The only thing that could potentially is what these things are called grant of rights. And so basically, the schools sign off and release their rights to um, go out and find a media deal of their own, and they give it to the conference in exchange for all of that money. So what we're seeing now is the issue that why PAC, the Pac-12 is dissolving is because they don't have a new television deal and it expires after this season. So there is no penalty for them financially from saying, we're going to play this last season here and then we're going to join this other conference because there's no penalty they have to play. O pay Oklahoma and Texas, they had to pay upwards of what, $35, $40 million, Borba? You would know better than me. But yeah. they had to pay a lot of money to be able to get out of that Big 12 uh, television contract two or three, or I think it's two years early before they redid their whole thing with the new look Big 12. So it's really just money. And and if you look at a school like Florida State and Clemson in the ACC, the ACC's deal runs until 2036. So another 14, 13, 14 years uh, ahead of time. Like the only thing that's stopping them is, oh, we're going to it's going to cost us half a billion dollars. But if you're going to make twice as much, maybe three times as much in a new bigger conference than what you were going to make in the ACC, you pay that back in like two and a half years. Any businessman would tell you, hey, that's a smart move. Go and do that. You know? Yeah, I kind of want to jump in too because realistically the only thing that could prevent this is something that we don't even think is possible at the moment. Um, and that's football kind of separating itself from the NCAA. Um, because I do think the one thing that most people don't consider is the fact that um, while, yes, Oregon, USC, UCLA are going to the Big Ten, um, they're going for every sport. So that means sports like baseball, softball, uh, volleyball, whatever, pick a random sport where they play multiple times a week. Those sports are all going to have to go to the East Coast, say New Jersey, because that's where Rutgers is. 
They're going to have to play Rutgers. They're going to have to play Maryland, swing over to Penn State, and then they're going to return home. Or whatever. Like their scheduling is not going to work out. It's just not. There's going to be mental health issues with amongst students, student athletes. There's going to be uh, academic issues amongst student athletes. And we've already seen student athletes come out and say that play these sports, that this isn't what they signed up for. Um, I, a girl that went to Oregon literally said, I came to Oregon so I could play in front of my family. Um, I wanted to play school, schools that were close to us. And so I think football is going to, in a sense, turn into the NFL in a way where it's just going to be like a national kind of thing and be its own entity right. where college, like other sports are going to have to be different because it just doesn't work the same for everybody. Football plays once a week. So let me ask you guys this and, and Kevin, I'll, point to you first because your question I mean your, your statement made me bring up this question what's stopping a like you said there's a national you, you wouldn't be surprised if it became like a national thing hmm. but the geographic ramifications is that something that's being lost in all of this because like with the Big Ten you have Cal you have these California schools now have to go across the country pretty much weekly hmm for however long college, college football goes from the first week of September, last week of August, some teams play through New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Labor Day to Thanksgiving is the regular season, and then the postseason begins bowl season early December. Right. Um, and then through New Year's Day. But you're usually but Labor but Day you're usually, you're usually in that mindset, that practice, mm-hmm. got to play, preparing, whatever. Mm-hmm. You're not worried about class. It's, a lot of these guys are not worried about class. So now you have three months, basically a whole semester, just academically speaking, out the window. No, yeah, it's true. So is there there any way where the NCAA stops this facade of like, yeah, we care about academics, but you guys make us billions of dollars, so we're going to let you slide. Yeah, you know, I think football-wise, especially football, and football's kind of guilty of this because they're – Football is the cool kid on campus. They do what they want. Um, I have friends who played or played college football currently. Their class load tip most football players. I will say there's some that take normal class loads. But some of their class loads during the season are about as pathetic as it gets. Um, there's like the history of like cotton or like the history of like T-shirts on, on their campus, like on their schedule. So I think we're going to There ain't no way somebody, some football player is taking the history of cotton. That that's, is, that's I, one of I didn't want to bring that up, but that was wild. I don't know as a class, as a like a made athlete or whatever. I'm taking every, it back. Every, everybody pause. Okay. I thought the, I thought the most wild class ever was art history, but you're telling me there's a class of the history of cotton. Dude, there's classes for everyone. I don't know why you thought players. our history was a wild class. I was just it's making like, up something you know, stupid. You know, art does have history. Cotton came to mind. This is uh, one of the favorite parts of when we record podcasts. I get to just jump on Borbo when he says something that I know he didn't mean that way. Mean. He's just so still but <laughs> You know they're going to take like, Be careful what you say on the airwaves. No, that was, now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm scared. Now you guys got me thinking. <laughs> but really, now you guys got me realistically, the, the NCAA can't pretend like they value student-athletes and they value their academics because there's no way that these kids are going to be able to have to, oh, yeah, I'm going to put in all my effort for football for these few months and travel across the country, but I'm also going to try really hard in class. They don't try hard in class now, and they travel in the same state for the most part in the Pac-12. Um, so you're telling me they're going to try hard when they're flying across the country? That's not possible. Um, also, I think it's going to be when the problems arise, it's going to be non-football sports. I, I think that's what we all kind of need to realize. And 
in terms of stupid classes, we'll go with badminton. That's what I took to graduate my last semester was a badminton class. <laughs> so I think, I, I think real quick, Jared, but the Chris, your, your question was rooted in what can the NCAA do, right? Like well, what power does this governing body I don't, have? I right? don't think they have any power. I think they're like a toothless, they're a toothless organization. You know, who, you know who the NCAA is? When you when we were in elementary in middle school, mm-hmm. right, and the teacher had to step out of the class for something, and they looked at Timmy because Timmy always sat in the front and did his homework and always whatever, and they said, "Timmy, you're in charge until I get back." I was like, "Okay." And then when the teacher left for five minutes and everybody tried to have some fun, mm-hmm. Timmy was like, "Guys, we're not supposed to do that." The NCAA is Timmy. Ain't nobody <laughs> cares what Timmy has to say, and nobody cares what the NCAA has to say. They set one. these rules, but because, yeah, exactly. But because they have lost actual court cases uh, at, at the Supreme Court level, like the Austin case, which is what gave us NIL, like they're not taken seriously. The rules they set, you're not they're not punishable by law. So that's that's how we get into this mess. We need some kind of governing body that actually has authority to set these unified rules so that NIL, the transfer portal, all these teams um coaches changing teams all this conference realignment we can have something that is set in stone so it's organized and we're not screwing over the tennis players and the swimmers and the track athletes because the oregon football team wants to play an annual game in columbus every year you know what i mean right so is there a jared i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off so is there a way where we get that do we do we see this happening at any point Within the next, I don't know, twenty years, the way to separate There's football. No way, bro. Football by itself is the only way to to do that. If football has to be like, but, okay, yeah, realistically, you're just not though. You're just I'm, not separating football. I think I think what has to happen is there needs to be some kind of collaboration, right? Football needs to separate from the NCAA. I agree with you, Borba. But in addition to that, these top conferences now, which in my opinion are going to end up being the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve. And then depending on what the ACC does, then maybe we have like a big four, right? Or maybe a big three and then kind of another layer going down. Regardless, whoever ends up being at the top, and in my opinion, I think it's going to end up being just an SEC Big Ten situation. They're going to have to collaborate with each other and go, hey, you know what we should do? We should put our teams into divisions of four teams. We should have a division winner, and then maybe we should have the four division winners and two or three wildcard teams make the playoffs. And then at the end of each playoffs, the winner of the Big Ten will play the winner of the SEC. Sounds familiar? It's because it's the NFL. So that's kind of the model that I think we're ending up towards in about 20, 30, 40 years. But for now, it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west, especially since NIL is unregulated, especially since the transfer portal is unregulated, especially since coaches leaving can can leave on a Tuesday after saying Monday they want to be there. Lincoln Riley, cough, cough. You know what I mean? Like there's chaos right now. So I think that is the ultimate destination. It's just going to take a long time, a lot of legal battles and a lot of money before we get there. So the issue I'm having is not really an issue. This is more of a thought. The reason why we're not they're not taking the classes as serious that we talk about other sports wise classes here because again football is once a week you might see them play Saturday Thursday maybe a Friday right basketball is a little different twice a week they got to figure it out across 
you're in soccer, I'm thinking you're playing on Thursday and a Sunday, which is wild for them. They got school on a Monday, school on a Friday. But the issue is now is that we've had this huge disease called COVID. It has made it where students can now take classes on Zoom. So why should they worry about the class structure for a lot of their students? Well, let's be fair now, almost half your class is going to be on Zoom regardless, depending on one, professors, if they, because now professors have in-person or Zoom lectures, they let you do either one. So for the athletes, now you're basically saying, we're automatically going to make all our students do Zoom, right? Like that's basically saying, especially if we have a travel schedule, which is, football's going to be different, but for other sports, a travel schedule. Within that travel schedule, yeah, they still have to attend their classes, Zoom. Football coaches are going to have to try and make that mandatory. Whatever's going to happen there, that's the new thing that's probably going to come up from them, which is why I think classes aren't an issue. So do I blame COVID a little bit for it? Yeah, sure, but we we kind of saw that coming, the trajectory of that, pertaining as people that did Zoom classes. We saw how the trajectory is going. Nobody wants to go back to classes anyway. Zoom's a fill-in. Let's be for real. These, if we're in Zoom classes as just regular people looking at the camera, but we're really watching TV, athletes going to be the same way. So I feel like they already starting to sensibly realize that, which is why I don't know if football is even going to want to consider removing themselves because of the fact is they're like, well, listen, our kids were phoning in before Zoom. Now they're really going to phone it in. So it's like. I, I get what you're saying, Jared, but you can't, for like PR sake, for like save face sake, that football coaches can't go to a, a, a recruit's house and say, yeah, I'm going to let your kid, you know, mess around for like half the year. Maybe you'll get a scholarship. Maybe you'll have to pay for the other half. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't half step it. Like you either got to really make them do it. Or just let them play football, and who cares about the rest? But I think what you guys is, I, I think the part of you know, like they're on Zoom. Who cares? It's like, okay, yeah, they're on Zoom, but you want them to travel all the way across the country. So are you getting the? Are you doing like charter jets? Are you providing no. them Wi-Fi? So like, you're are you putting football? Yes. Earth? Other okay, other so programs like so, football. Yes, you, I think. Other but you already now. have this. Commercial. You already have this this resentment, a lot of athletes feel resentment. Why do I have to do X, Y, Z? Because the football team has to do X, Y, Z. And you have this issue where are you cutting off your nose to spite your face for other sports just to save this cash cow in football? It, it depends on what that school wants to be. Alabama, well, Alabama is a bad example because they put a lot into their baseball and basketball programs, but some a school like um, a Arkansas. school like Notre Dame or Notre Dame, there. Arkansas. Arkansas is a better example. That's a a school like Arkansas. Arkansas is a football school, mm-hmm. and they are okay. Georgia is even a better example. Georgia's okay with being. We're gonna give like if you come here to play a sport that's not football, you need to know coming in that you are a second class athlete compared to the football players. Full stop. Because that's the way this goes here. A school like Florida, not just to, you know, rivals and stuff, Florida wants to be a bit more of an everything school, right? Wants to be successful in football, in baseball, in basketball, in track, in, in all, soccer, every sport they want to be successful at. So it depends on the school and what that mentality is from the athletic department and from the administration. Now, the one thing that I do believe we can get to, because I think we can all agree that for what these athletes, these football players specifically, are putting their bodies through, are dedicating their time to, are losing sleep over, everything that goes into being a high-level Division One college football player, there should be some kind of 
reimbursement financially without saying the words I want to say um, because of all that they do and the money they generate. Generate. If these top leagues decide to pull away from the NCAA, then they don't have to play by the NCAA rules when it comes to football. We could get our conferences to go back to being regional for all the other sports. And then on top of that, for football, they have the power to give their players a salary, give their players benefits. The players can form a college football players union and get health care and all of these different things that the NFL has. But wait a minute. When you're playing at that level and that money's there, I'm just saying that is the path to it. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just saying. When you start mentioning the word union, that's when every people start dragging their heels. People start, you know, because here's the thing, right? This whole thing we've all established is money. This is based yes. a financial based decision. Why would the schools then give more of the money they're already recoup- recouping back to the players? Chris, I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly why. They won't because. <laughs> <We're> like no <laughs> no no no. but for real it is the exact same reason that i said earlier that fsu and clemson would rather lose the money up front so they can gain it on the back end if the schools can allow for a union of sorts from the players can allow from getting payment giving payments to the players then they can pull away from the ncaa and they can harness in even more of the money that they're already getting so for them it's kind of like an investment right like we can set up a base salary or something or base benefits but in the long run we're still going to be making either as much or more money than what we're making right now when we stay within the ncaa bubble and play by the quote-unquote ncaa rules which we know they don't but alas that's kind of my point i'm just saying that that is the path towards that i'm not saying i i don't i'm not 100 percent in i'm just objectively looking at it and going if this is what they want to do if this is what the players eventually get tired of and demand from all the physical travel everything else that goes into it and the amount of money that this college football sport generates that is the pathway to doing that that's all i'm saying i'm just letting out that okay we could talk about this all day but we're gonna have to unfortunately move on because there's other widespreading news that needs to be talked about such as in july Northwest University fired its head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, over reports of, I believe, widespread hazing on the team that included nudity, sexualized acts, that such of degrading nature. Now, he has denied it, said he had, and I quote, no knowledge whatsoever of any form of hazing within the football program. As now as the university is doing independent investigation, they did not find any credible evidence that Fitzgerald knew was happening as well. But, boy, we're going to start with you. I just want to get your opinion on this Northwestern news, how do you feel it's going to impact the team? What do you think is going on in general with a program that if your head coach, this is the air quotes now, supposedly doesn't know what's going on within the program of the hazing, how how is this going to move, look for them knowing this is a now, what, widespread incident? Like this is something that no school wants to have a public scandal like this. Yeah, I think Northwestern is kind of, it's like a lose-lose situation. He either didn't know which means he's oblivious to hazing happening within his own program, or he did know and he's lying about it. Um, Obviously, neither scenario is good, and um, you hate to see that. Uh, I think, for one, how it affects the program, Northwestern was already going to be bad. Um, I think now they've lost some talented players, so I don't really know. 
how you could go from like really bad to like worse, but like they weren't going to be good anyway. Um, not that the on-field stuff matters if this stuff off the field is true, but um, we've heard that they had football issues. And then they also had another sport within their um, university there that had some issues with coaching and hazing as well. So I think it's just an unfortunate knock on the program. I was talking to Northwestern alums when it happened and they were all shocked. Um, they all said, I would never expect it from him. I'd never expect coach Fitzgerald to have a program that would do something like this. And so I think that part's a little surprising because it's like truly jarring to so many people that it happened. But at the end of the day, if it did happen, it's a lose-lose situation because I, if you're a head coach at a major program, there should be, you should know every single thing about your program. Like you need to be like the secret service uh, is for the president where you just know every single po- per situation they step in, they know what's going to happen. So I feel like that's, um, in a way irresponsible on him if he didn't know um and if he if he did know that's just disgusting um, that, and allegedly allegedly there was you know he had kind of singled guys out like he would he allegedly was doing hand motions above him at practices like there a was, like a code yeah like there was there was uh whiteboards in the locker room with stuff on it so like this whole i didn't know thing i mean maybe he did Pretty maybe wild. he didn't maybe he didn't know how how far he would take they would take it but something was there, and he either, like you said, should have known or didn't know. But a lot of people liked Pat Fitzgerald. A lot of people respected Pat Fitzgerald. We've seen guys come back and get second chances, maybe not at the same school. But, you know, Bobby Petrino got hired after the after the Atlanta exit, got hired at Arkansas. You see guys – Maybe. And then what happened? And then what happened to Bobby Petrino at Arkansas? Okay, all right, well, <laughs> second chances are my common. My point is that second chances are common in college sports. Look at Rick Petrino. Yes. So, does is there a scenario where Pat Fitzgerald gets another job somewhere? Maybe not a head coaching job, but maybe a coordinator job, maybe something on the sideline, something like that. I want to cut Sergio. So my I question to, to you guys, I want to get to this before Sergio does. There's a man by the name of uh, <laughs> EJ Durkin. Uh, he literally had a player die on his watch uh, at Maryland, and he is currently employed. Um, and the player had, like, begged for water, and, like, they had, like, a whole thing where the guy was, like, legit dehydrated, and he is currently employed. So if – I'm not – If I'm that not, had happened at a bigger school, it would have been a bigger deal, but because it happened at Maryland? If that was Ohio State and not Maryland, does Ryan Day keep his job or something like that? Keep his job. If, no, that's, if that's if that's Alabama, does Saban get the boot if something like that? Saban's Saban don't Saban's untouchable. Like, no, I'm, Saban's no, yes, one, I'm just trying know. to see what's the level. No, I know what you mean. Like yeah. I know Saban could probably like piss on somebody and keep his job, but like you know the reality of Alabama having something bad and Nick Saban keeping his job. You don't. We don't want to see that. But realistically, I think Fitzgerald will get a job eventually. Um, it'll be a, he'll start as a coordinator. Um, work his way up and become a head coach again. Sorry to cut you off, Jared. No, my question now is one. I don't even know if Ed Oregon or John would have kept his job after something like this, but it's more so the fact that Northwestern had what four to five decommits. They've had a transfer out, which they had a top linebacker, four star transfer out. I believe his name was Nigel Grove. This this school is already losing in the recruitment race and the transfer portal race. It was quoted when this incident first came out. It's open season. Those were the words used to describe this school and the talent level that they're going to have. Going forward, this is a scam that goes away within a year or two. It's going to be something that's going to be constantly talked about. Parents are going to tell their their sons and daughters about it. How does this school ever try and recruit? Do the 
recruitment knowing that this is something that's already instilled now. You don't know how, I believe, it's now David Braun, who's elevated as the interim head coach or the new head coach is going to come in. How do they try and flip the narrative for Northwestern recruitment knowing that this story is just that massive? I think, Borba, you would probably be better qualified to speak on this because the academic standards to play at Northwestern are very similar to Stanford, which you cover. So I think a lot of the uh, obstacles that Stanford has are also obstacles that Northwestern has, right? Yeah, I think academically it's already challenging enough. And so that actually might kind of help Northwestern in a sense because if recruiting-wise, if you get an offer from Northwestern, um, and you're a, we'll say a low four star from Illinois. That might mean something to you. Um, that might uh, that offer is you're probably hoping for an Ohio State offer, a Michigan offer, but those offers might not come because they recruit nationally. Whereas Northwestern, they can also kind of recruit nationally, but it's not of the same caliber. But recruiting wise, at Northwestern is always going to be hard. Um, I think realistically, and this is kind of like the hard part about our job, um, is you have to clean house. After this year, they have to, unless this interim coach kind of like leads them to a glorious season and all of a sudden all is well in the locker room, you have to bring in a new head coach who's a strong cultural build. Like when Ed Orgeron was petitioning himself for the Northwestern job, I was like, that is the last person I would want trying to guide this program (laughs) at the moment. Nothing against Ed. He's just not a Northwestern type of guy. Um, You need someone who could build a culture who could recruit with the academic standards. Uh, Maybe David Shaw from Stanford gets another chance. Um, He's currently working for the NFL network. I don't know if he wants to coach again, but maybe someone like that. It's someone who's a strong culture builder, someone who understands academics. Um, Even Jason Garrett was in on Stanford job. So you have to have someone who could kind of reset this because obviously no parent is willingly going to be like, yeah, I want my kid to go there after this just happened. And not only the whole reset thing, but I don't listen. I think we're underplaying just how significant Pat Fitzgerald is to Northwestern football history. Not only has he been the coach since 2006, Pat Fitzgerald is the greatest player in Northwestern football history. He was the quarterback uh, on a team that won a nat- won a national championship, Barbara, or won a Rose Bowl, I think, I think in the right. in the 90s. But Rose Northwestern's Bowl. most successful period on the field whether it was in the 90s or the three or four years where they kind of, oh my gosh, Northwestern has won nine or 10 games, have all involved Pat Fitzgerald. So this is a very weird situation. Like you said, Chris, everyone, like a lot of people love him still and defend him and are going for him. And listen, I, while I may not agree because I personally am one to believe in um, the reporting from the Daily Northwestern, the student newspaper that broke this entire story. Right. Um, but I can understand why these these people that are so close to Pat Fitzgerald, who has been held on this pedestal of not just a good football coach, not just a former good football player, not just Northwestern's I the face of Northwestern football, but like the face of leadership and a leader of men and and the, the way to do things the right way, someone who does things the right way. And for this kind of scandal where allegedly he either, like Borba said, didn't know or he knew and covered it up and may have potentially allegedly again been involved in the signaling of identifying the players that went through this, then yeah, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Not everybody's going to take it that easy. I completely understand why. So Northwestern is very interesting. I do want to point out though, um, Northwestern has only won 
more than seven games once since 2018. And it was the seven and two year um, where they finished 8th in the college or 14th. I'm sorry, in the college football playoff rankings. And that was the COVID season. So doesn't count outside of the COVID season. He hasn't really done much since 2018. So um, maybe in terms of a new voice in there, it might be a good idea for Northwestern football in terms of a on the field product. But, yeah. you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, I think I think the, the one part that is kind of under the radar that I find very interesting. It wasn't like this was an ESPN report. It wasn't like this came from an this came from pretty much in house. So I wonder how much of this the the academic faculty knew about it. Somebody somebody's known. Because things like this are not as buttoned up as you would think. People can see on the periphery. How much did the AD know? How much did the president know? I think there's much more fallout from this that's going to come. It's too bad the NCAA is toothless, but like, <laughs> but but, it, but it's a good thing that we still have good student journalists who. This is a story straight out of 1970. Like this is an old yeah. school journalism story, and very rarely do we have it these days. It did come from the student na- newspaper at one of the best journalist schools in the country at uh, at Northwestern. So it's it's it like you said, Chris. It's interesting how deep it goes and. I just I can't wait in thirty years for the Northwestern documentary. We can the thirty for we 30. can come back and revisit this. You know what I mean? I, I will say we don't have I to talk, wait thirty years. But. I talked to a professor from Northwestern. Um, I actually met her by accident, so I asked her her opinion, and she was like, "You would have thought I was like asking about her son." Like it was like a genuine shock and like disgust that people were like accusing Fitzgerald of this. Like it was like that couldn't be him. But like Sergio said, he's been the coach for since two thousand whatever you said. How long has this been going on and no one knows? So we're just everybody's gonna and, get fired for negligence because that's and another, that's and another point. Another point, he's been involved with the program since the nineties. Yeah. I wonder if it goes that far probably goes that far back. He learned it. Pat Fitzgerald is Northwestern football. Like who knows, man. This isn't something new. Like, let's be for real. He got this from somebody else. Probably was been going on when he was like. It follows a pattern. Like, it trends. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of context, but uh, I mean, I would not be surprised if, and I'm using the word if very strategically here. Allegedly, allegedly correct. Let's cover straight to the point. Podcast here. I don't want Brett Favre's lawyers on my ass. (laughs) If allegedly this was something that happened when Pat Fitzgerald was on the football team in the '90s, you know what I mean? We don't. No. We don't know. I think it's. A we lot, don't know. We don't it's know. a lot to unpack, but we don't have to wait too much longer to kind of see how this upcoming season will unfold. So, Kevin, I'll start with you. Give me someone you think will be an overachiever that many mm-hmm. people aren't really talking about them. They're kind of flying under the radar. Someone you think that will catch a lot of people's attention uh, by surprise. Yeah, I'm going to go in my region of the United States. Um, I'm going to go with DJ Uyunglele. I hate saying his last name. I feel like I get it right every, once out of three times. Um, but he's the the Clemson transfer, former five-star. Um, him and Bryce Young used to duke it out in high school. They went to the two biggest high schools in California, um, in Southern California. And uh, for the longest time, he was going to be the heir to Trevor Lawrence. He was going to be that next Clemson quarterback that led him to glory, and he just really wasn't. Um, now he's at Oregon State, which is kind of a more low-key program. 
Um, I talked with their head coach recently and was like, what, what's going on? Like, what is up with DJ? And he's like, dude just wants to play football. Um, hasn't acted like he's a star, hasn't acted like he deserves anything. And so I feel like in a system where they run the ball well, they have a good defense that complements everything around him, I feel like his job will be easier, which in effect will make him look better and um, kind of turn his career around because this is obviously a last hurrah for him. Sergio, same thing for you. Let me get somebody who you think is going to catch people's attention by surprise this year. Yeah, for sure. I do want to say, I, I don't think I'm going to miss an Oregon State game this year. Like, I'm really excited to see what Jonathan Smith is going to then build upon. I love him as a coach. I always I have for the past few years. And I think DJ is going to thrive in that system and with less less pressure than Clemson. Yeah. But I also, like Borba, will stay over on my side of the country. I'm in the South. I live in the state of Florida. And it pains me to say this as a Florida Gator uh, alumnus and fan. But Florida State's got a legit chance to make the playoffs this year. They went eight and four last year. The four games that they lost were games that they should have lost, all one score or, or less than 10 points against better teams. And they won the games that they should have won, which is a good sign for a team that is rebuilding. I think we're entering now uh, Mike Norvell's fourth season. Yeah, fourth season at Florida State. So the roster's mostly his. Um, he has what seems to be like a 14th year quarterback in Jordan Travis. Um, this is his final year. I think it's his fifth or sixth year of eligibility. Um, he is an established above average, dare I say, great college quarterback, which is very different from an NFL prospect. I want to emphasize that the best. Um, kind of he is one of the exactly. He's one of the I think he's one of the 10 best college quarterbacks in the country this year. They're returning the most. Uh, production of any team in the country this season. And that is always a deceiving stat because if you're returning the most production from last season, but you went two and 10, like, is that really that good? No. But if you're Florida state who went eight and four really took a leap forward, the offensive line looked like the, it was the best offensive line performance last year since the national championship in 2013. Um, Jordan Travis really took the reins of the quarterback position. They have a lot of talent at running back. They have good wide receivers, a good secondary, a young secondary. It's, it's looking good for Tallahassee. It's looking good for Florida state this year. And they have, I think a legit chance to make the playoff. And I, uh, I want to say this now on August 7th, when Florida state beats Clemson, remember this moment, because I think Florida state beating Clemson is going to be the game that shoots them up into the national People kind of keep an eye on them up until that point, and then they're going to be like, oh, we got to watch Florida State every week. So as much as it pains me as a Gator to say that, I think Florida State is definitely a team that has a legit playoff chance this season. The last season with four playoff teams, by the way. Is it wild? Not going to say Alabama, y'all know. I wouldn't say them. We know they're going to be whatever they're at. I'm nervous about the team this year. It's crazy to say. But is it? I've I've been reading some reports. I don't know if I'm should be too optimistic. I'm a little nervous. A little nervous, you know. A little nervous. But is it wild? I'm looking at Washington. Stop. No. Texas isn't beating. Washington is a great pick. Is it great? I'm, I'm like when I think about what Devour did last season. One of the best offenses we talked about in college football. I like the quarterback. I think his name is Pelix Jr. Yeah. Michael Penix Jr. Michael Penix Jr. I like the receivers. Jr. Michael Penix Jr. is on my he got that dog in him all American team this year. I've heard good I things about Penix. it when I was reading about Washington. I was like, they talk about the receivers in Odunze and McMillian. I'm just like, what are they like again? They they have some big games in Oregon and Oregon State, but they can really be a sleeper team where nobody's really talking about them enough because of where they lie, who they normally play, but they open at Boise State. I'm just like, 
I can see Washington doing some things. And again, I feel like I'm an outlier on it because a lot of people were ranking them lower than I thought they'd be ranked. So yeah, I'm like, maybe it's just me. This. Borba teases at the beginning, and I want to—I want you to go off on it, Borba, because you're right. The Pac-12 this year is—it's so sad that this is the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it, because they're going to go out it with a banger. Like this, there are so many good teams that can legitimately win the conference. There's so many exciting players, and it's going to be—you know—bittersweet to see the last potential Apple Cup, right? Washington, Washington State, the last game formerly known as the Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State. Borba, who do you think? <laughs> in your mind right now is like outside of USC, because we all know Caleb Williams and everything, but outside of USC, who do you think has the best chance to win the conference and potentially make the playoff? Oh, okay. I like, I like the caveat at the end and make the playoff because I, Oregon state's been my sleeper to, to kind of do both. Um, but realistically that team for me is Washington. Um, I think offense kind of wins games in college football. Uh, we, we, we don't really see dominant defenses. And when we do, it's Georgia and they have five stars on five stars. So that's not really like a, a common thing anymore. Washington, they kept a quarterback who looked like he was one of the three best quarterbacks in college football. They were able to, which I apologize for this, Jared, but this is a, a fun fact towards against your Alabama Crimson Tide. They were able to keep their offensive coordinator from going to Alabama. Um, he, he wanted to stay in Washington. He's running it back with all the receivers. They have a great pass rusher. Um they just have everything. And realistically, the other team I'm looking at is Oregon. I just like Sergio, me and Sergio have joked about this for the three years that we've known each other now. Um, there is a bad bow and a good bow. And we've only seen a good bow Knicks when Kenny Dillingham is calling plays. And Kenny Dillingham now resides in Tempe, Arizona um, at Arizona State. So I don't I don't want to put all my stock in Bo Knicks. I think he could be better. But I would say Washington is my pick to kind of shock people. And they people forget they've been to the playoff already. Again, we're going to move on to underachievers soon, but this is yeah. something that I like to say out loud. But a team I think is going undefeated again is Georgia. I, I really do. I hate it. Look at what they got. They've been 29 and 1 in the past two well, years. You hate it. I hate you it. hate it. I don't, I I don't like it. I mean, well, you hate it. Oh, I know, okay. I know you hate it for sure, but I, I just. Can't I mean, you know, I'm, in, I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent, allegedly. Uh, no, no, no. You can but, say you what know? you feel. This is straight to the point. You can say what you feel. I just know can I look I re- at that. Truly? Can I, can, I, can I curse on this podcast? No, you cannot. No, no, no. Do okay. the uh, demonetization. I will not curse. I will not curse. And I think the audience can understand my anger towards Georgia <laughs> by opting to not say anything. How about that? I just know. Look at what they have in Brock Bowers. And what is his name? Lad McConkey. Like this, they have a successor instead. Like Sesame's not there, but I really don't think he was much of the biggest deal that people were like, he's good, but he wasn't like the guy for them. He was the defense. Now I know we're talking about, you know, what they lost in like the Kobe Dean or Jordan Davis, but that was like they still got uh what smell Mondon, Dwayne Johnson. I, I, like they got guys in the middle that are gonna be just terrorizing teams again. The offense is still there. It's like I, I'm sick to see that this might be three years straight that they've just been they're the most dominant team in football. It's going to be it's gross to see knowing that Bamba scares me. And I said it before. I'll say it again. Bamba scares me. No, I don't even know who the starting QB is this season. Jared, I don't, I don't mean know. I don't mean to cut you off, but if everyone could see Sergio's face right now as Jared is just going on and on because on, George is really nasty on, this season. It's and gross. On about Bro, it's, it's like it's like somebody re- like telling you your nightmare in front of you after you've already known it 
and what? accept it's real life and it's your biggest I got, rival. Jared, I got it. I got it. I got it. It is their biggest rival. It's a perfect it's example. Rival. Get it. I get it. Half of Georgia's on the Eagles now, but we don't have to be like that. You know Shout I mean? it out. I get it. I get See, it. Here's, right? here's the great thing about Jared is he's a Bama fan when it's convenient. But he's no, no, a, I'm mad at him always. We're going to be bad. He's season. a Georgia fan. Questionable. Be mad this season, okay. I think they're underachievers. I think Alabama might underachieve. I don't even know if there's going to be ties into Jalen Miller starting this season. I really don't. Is, they, is, there's reports saying they're progressing. You don't want to hear that in August. You don't want to hear about that in August. Is this your pick? Is this your official prediction of underachiever? Are you? No, I have another one, but you I do think Alabama. Are you doubting Saban? He's doubting Saban. I don't doubt Saban. I just doubt the quarterback play. Like, what quarterback are we really talking? Jalen Miller is like a tank. Like, as a tank as a QB, but he's just. He's not there when it comes to the development of Alabama quarterback that you want come August. Like again, hold, you hold, never hold, hold, hear hold, in August that your QB's progressing. I just want to push back on this idea of Alabama quarterback. This is a it's not, new a, phenomenon. This, okay? is a, this is a new thing. This is a new thing. Alabama ran out there with guys like AJ McCarron. Yes. Okay. Is this this idea of Alabama quarterback is relatively new. I hear you. I hear you, Chris. The AJ McCarrons, the Greg McElroys. I get that. Greg McElroy. Football, football, college football was different. Yes, vastly different. Very different. In today's age, ever since the 2015 season, I think, when Nick Saban legitimately looked at the media and said, is this what we want college football to be? Because I'll do it. And, and he, then he did it. Yes. And then he won three national titles. <laughs> so, and I'm just like, it's, it's totally different now because we talk about you don't really know going in. Like you had to, like, Alabama's really never had to go in and get a transfer QB. Per, to go try and start your season. They've always did the recruitment thing. They've always got guys coming in. Yes, they've had some outlier QBs, but you've also always had to go back to – I think the defense is still a little shaky. I know we got Coy McKinstry. I know we got Malachi Moore. But it's, it's a little shakier grounds where recruitment's coming in next season, but not this season. The receiving core is not their best. Like, Alabama's been known to have great receivers and running backs. This year, you've got a couple guys that are questionable. No, they a little questionable. If I, if, I, if I bring him the name of Ja'Cory Brooks, he's going to be like – that's 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 no Devonta Smith. If I if I told him, hey man, we're going to next year with Jermaine Burton out of Georgia. If you couldn't hack it in Georgia, why would you think you gotta come to Alabama and be a, a the, the next John Metcher? It just doesn't work like that. You're not gonna be the next Amari Cooper. So this is a little season. I'm just a little. I think they're still gonna be good. They're banked at eleven and two. I I don't I don't I don't I think it might be a little bit worse than that. But I know we're still beating Texas. That's all I'm worried about. I just know we're beating them in Auburn. Beating those that, two teams for sure. That is, you could beat Auburn. I, Auburn should be terrible. Um, uh, realistically, Texas is going to win. Um, I think Chris was kind of. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get riled up right now because um, I know we got to go soon. But I was my underachiever. Realistically, I think when you look at college football as a whole, you kind of think of blue bloods and you think of like consistent programs who are going to be good. And I think my underachiever. I look at and Sergio is going to laugh and throw some shade at me, but I think it's going to be Texas A and M. Um, I just don't. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I, okay, here's the thing. Well, Sergio always gets on me because it feels like it feels like I'm picking on Texas's rivals, but they just happen to allow me to pick on them. But they struggle. No, no, no. But like in your defense, these last 18 months, they've just given you material. Yeah, they've like just it's, been it's, it to you. not purposely. It's just like they're like handing me the keys to the car and telling me to drive. Um, but Texas A&M, they they've had issues and we thought they had this off season to resolve them and it didn't seem like anything was going to change. And so until Jimbo Fisher can show that he could return to his Florida state heyday, because the end of Florida state was quite pitiful. 
Um, I'm going to doubt Texas A&M. I'm also going to doubt Oklahoma um, for the sake of doubting them. <laughs> so you don't have faith in Bobby Petrino and Connor Wegman? I know you guys have talked about it before multiple times, but I just, I just want to hear why you don't have faith in them. Isn't that, That's the future. <laughs> that's the future. Supposedly by them. I'm going to... Good quarter. Pass that to Borba because I would like to move on to my underachieving team because I don't really think it's worth talking about AM. <laughs> I think it's worth talking about AM. They are Go ahead. White, good individual. I'm sure he'll be good. Just not with Jimbo as the coach. I co signed that. <laughs> um no, mine and mine is a mine is mine is a pick that for the end. Chris, Jared, this is not meant to like insult you guys, but for the non-educated college football fan, and by non-educated, I mean not Borba and I who live, sleep, breathe, eat, drink this sport because we love it, but for someone who just kind of comes in and is like, oh, what's going on in college football, right? The That's you, Chris, exactly, and that's all good. Idiot. We love to have you in our in our in our circle. All right, Borba. Thank you. Just be yeah. nice, Borba. We we're, we're guests, Borba. We're guests. I love you. This is, that was slander. Behave. That was, that it's, a, was slander. It's, it's a not a slander. I'm, that was, that was, first that was of all, slander. At the I, end. I did not. I did not miss the. You know where me, Jared, and Borba got our masters. I did not miss that. Okay. Don't <laughs> <laughs> you slide on the first one? Don't hey, me. Chris. It's okay. You are just in less debt than us, you so you should celebrate. You, that. Are, you are habitually stepping over this line. You are. A habitual line stepper, okay? <laughs> hey, don't worry. I'm all Euro step back over, I promise. Um, no, but it, it listen. I'm I promise you I'm not a hater. I'm just trying to be realistic. Colorado's not winning more than three, four games this year. That's slanderous, but it's fair. It's, it's slanderous, not slanderous, it's, it's the it's truth. Very slanderous. It's only because you're saying it. We wouldn't even talk about if it wasn't for Deion Sanders. This That's is like, not me saying that I do not think Deion Sanders can be successful at Colorado. The opposite. I think Deion Sanders will be successful at Colorado, especially since this is the last year in the Pac-12 and next year he gets to play in the Big 12 and gets to walk into recruits' houses in Dallas and in Houston and in Austin and wear his Dallas Cowboy, hey, it's Deion Sanders coming back to to Texas. But why even limit yourself to that? He could go to any household across America. He he could walk in Atlanta and be like, it's prime. Atlanta? Yes. He can, he can walk into Alaska. Everybody know who Dion is. That That's is what I'm saying. I, I have faith in him. It's gonna. I think it's gonna work. But Colorado was horrendous last season. Like yes. bad. The offensive line is garbage. And Borba can tell you a lot more about the other position groups and everything else because Borba covers Colorado. Um, but I want to like. I just want everyone to set the. I want to set the. Ex, excuse me. I want to set the expectations correct for someone who is just trying to get into catch up before the season starts to see what's going on. Because if you didn't know, if you didn't watch Colorado last season, and I don't blame you because it was not a fun thing to do, but if you didn't watch Colorado last season, you would think that Dion was going to come in, win six, seven games, make a bowl game, and then next year would kind of hit the ground running and win eight to ten games and contend for a playoff spot, blah, 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 the conference. He's winning four games this year, and it's not because he's a bad coach. It's because the roster is absolutely horrible, and they really don't get any um, – they, they get, like, Stanford and Arizona. Favors by – They have winnable games. It's just the problem they have, is – They have winnable games. The, the issue is, is that they – The trenches. That's where I get most of my concerns. Right. 
they they brought in right. uh, this, this is the other problem i don't know if it's a problem it's either going to be a genius uh experiment or it's going to be one of the biggest failures in college football history he brought in 51 transfers which is like by far yes. the most um there's 10 players from last year's roster scholarship players there's walk on still um there's 10 scholarship players from last year's team on this team still so he brought in a whole new group um some of them from sec powers some of them from old dominion um or like name a random program you, they probably brought one in from there um, hey so, old old dominion beat virginia tech last year want to point that out a lot of people did sergio a lot of people did uh, <laughs> but realistically they have a lot of a lot of new things a lot of new bodies they have travis hunter who is going to be i think our first true two-way star since like uh i don't even know miles jack um adoree jackson so that'll be interesting um but yeah i think i i penciled them in at six wins if you ask Colorado fans, they're going to win the national championship, which is not true, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's my little tidbit on Colorado. Six wins. They have TCU. I don't trust. Which I, TCU should beat them, but I don't trust them. Nebraska is not good. Stanford's Stanford is struggling. Um, Arizona is kind of in that mid tier. They have Washington State, so they have games where it's like it could happen. So that's why I say that. But Borba, Colorado could realistically start the season zero and five. They they, well, they play first game, which Fox is promoting insanely, and they're like, "Hey, first game of Dion," and it's like they're gonna get slaughtered by TCU on the road because TCU, like you said, I don't think they're gonna be last year, but they're still better than them. Then they have Nebraska at home. I think that Matt Rule is just a more proven coach than Dion personally, and I think that he's gonna have them playing better, faster than what Colorado is gonna be. Then they got Colorado State, which they could realistically lose that game because the talent level at the moment is kind of similar. And then they go to Oregon and then they have USC. They could they could start 0-5. I'm just don't my thing is don't be surprised when we get to be good or could be really we get to the end of September and we're getting pieces of is it working? Is Dion working at Colorado? What's wrong? It's like nothing's wrong. He needs time. It's gonna work out in the long run, but it's not going to be fun in 2023 for Colorado and its fans. Just want to point that out. The media is going to butcher Coach Prime only because they're just going to be losers. And it's not his fault. It's just. No, it's not his fault at all. It's not his fault at all. But with that being said, thank you all for listening to another episode of Straight to the Point. If you liked what you hear, tell a friend to tell a friend to get her masters. But no, but tell a friend to tell a friend to <laughs> tune in. Uh, we're still a five-star rated podcast on iTunes. So if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Make sure you follow Street to Point on all your favorite socials. That's at STTP Podcast. Make sure you follow me at underscore Chris Cross. Follow me at underscore JW Hughes. If you did not know that, you know now. In October, you will have to pay back your student debt. Yay! But make sure you definitely check us out on all your favorite Instagram, Twitter, and podcasts because we're going to need all the help we can get. So help, help boost the show's ratings. First of all, help a brother out. Sergio Borba, please drop your socials. Drop where we where we can you know we can find you, where we can hear you, where we can read what you write, all that good stuff. Send more Colorado hate to them. Hey, listen, you can send me all the. Send it to me. You can send it to Sergio at at s d e l a e s on Twitter X whatever Elon wants to call it to, uh, today. Uh, you can follow Sideline Judgment, my college football podcast at s j underscore podcast. We are ramping up, and we are about to begin our season previews. Um, and then you can also uh, find me supporting my good friend, Kevin Borba, who writes for so many different outlets. Borba, where do you write? Where can we read you? I'm at, I'm at 
uh, Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation and Athlon Sports. Um, I have a podcast for the Lockdown Network, and I will say you could send me all of your messages, but if they're longer than three sentences, I will not read them. Um, I just want you guys to know that now. Borba already gets Colorado hate, so he's very prepared to handle the Colorado Keep it hate. concise. Keep it concise if you're going to come for me. I'm not going to read it all. You guys write me paragraphs, and I'm, I don't even like to read my own writing. <laughs> Well, that's not fair. I had a whole two-page paper ready to tell you why I can't stand what you're writing, but now, like, I can't condense that. What are we doing? Spark notes. Listen, you, if you're going to hate Jared, you got to hate in short bursts like me. Oh, I forgot you're a master pro. Yeah. The art, the art of hating. <laughs> that's, 